Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. Thank you guys for joining us online on Facebook or YouTube. We're really glad you guys are here. We are finishing up a series this evening. We've been in a series the last six weeks called Finding Jesus. And we've been talking about how we know and why we follow. You know, there are a lot of people who have uh, kind of questioned their faith. Questioned their faith because, well, there's a lot of things out there that sometimes we get hung up on. There are a lot of things out there that, that sometimes we question. When we read the Bible, we, we, we question the Bible and we question, is God real? And, and, and where is God in the, in the, in the midst of, of hard things? And, and, and is this true because this doesn't match up with this? And then also, too, there's just the hypocrisy of the church, the hypocrisy of Christians. I mean, there's story after story after story of Christians not really believing what we say we believe. And so we've been talking about why we would even consider following Jesus. We've been trying to find Jesus. But, but the great news is, is what we've talked about in this series, is that uh, Christianity doesn't rise and fall on the, the accuracy or the inerrancy of, of Scripture. It rises and falls on an individual, Jesus. Jesus is the only reason we have a, the Bible. We don't have Jesus because we have the Bible. We have the Bible because of Jesus. Because who Jesus was and who Jesus claimed to be, which Jesus claimed to be God in human form on the earth. He claimed to have all authority in heaven and on earth. He claimed to, if you wanted to meet the Father, have no fear. Because if you've met Jesus, you have met the Father. And so Jesus made all these huge, wild claims. They were so wild and, and so remarkable that, that it caused people to, to write an account of his life. Because not only did he claim to be God in human form, but, but he, also, he also died on the cross for our sins. And then in, in, in this odd predicament, he, 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 actually, he actually predicted his death and his resurrection. And three days later, there were people, there were eyewitnesses that said that they saw him alive. And so all of these different people wrote firsthand accounts of this man, this common day laborer who claimed to be God, who died on a cross and was seen alive three days later. And it's so odd, it's so crazy because we don't have firsthand accounts. We don't have, we don't have stories or letters written about Caesar or about Pilate or even about Herod and all their accomplishments that they have. But for some reason, we have not one but many accounts of this man named Jesus because he did something extraordinary. And the things that he said, people, someone found it to be extraordinarily good. And so when you're wrestling with your faith, when you're trying to find Jesus, when, when you're in doubt, the, the, the question, the question that we should all be asking, the question that we should be dealing with is this. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John a reliable account of actual events? Not is, is God real or is the Bible true? Those are off-ramps to faith. Those are fun conversations. Those are fun books to read. Those are fun podcasts to listen to. But if we really, really want to, really want to genuinely look and discover if faith is worth Putting, if it's worth putting our faith into Jesus, then we have to ask ourselves, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any one of them, if, if what any one of them says is true about Jesus, then game on, then faith on, then it's a reason to not leave the conversation yet. And so if you're, if you're genuinely thinking about coming back to faith, if you're genuinely thinking about following Jesus, 
The answers are in finding Jesus, in looking and starting with who Jesus was, what Jesus said, and who Jesus claimed to be, because that is why we follow. And so we've been taking a look at the Gospel of Luke. For the last six weeks, we've, we've dove through the, the, the book of Luke because Luke, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he knew many of the disciples. He, he knew Mary, he knew Peter, he knew James. He, he knew many of the people were there. And so he sits down one day and he writes his own account for a rich follower of Jesus named Theophilus. And he tells Theophilus, he goes, many people have tried to do this. Many people are doing this. But, but, but I've written this down and I've interviewed the people who were there. I've, I've sat them down. They've told me the stories. They were eyewitnesses to all of this. So I want you to know I've very, very carefully looked at all of these different details. And, and, and this is what I have found. And I've given you this so that you know that there's, there's foundation to what you put your faith in. And for every single one of us who have struggled to believe, have struggled to put our faith in Jesus, and we've been told, well, you just got to have faith, brother. Well, well that's just not true. Because Luke even though Theophilus had put his faith in Jesus, Luke told Theophilus, look, there are eyewitness accounts. There are material witnesses. There, there, there's evidence that is here. And I want to give this to you so that you know that what you have put your faith in, it is true and it is worth following and it is good. And it was. It was so good that that's why this letter to Theophilus was eventually taken and copied and written down and memorized and passed on and on and on and on and on. And so we've been talking throughout this, throughout this letter, this letter that, that Luke wrote. And, and, and I'll be very, very honest with you. I, I had things that I, I was going to say in this series, things I was going to say in this sermon. And then... The things that happened this week shook me to my core. Totally threw me off my game. I was literally writing this message an hour ago at the church. Trying to figure out what it is that God wanted me to say. What it is that, that we needed to talk about tonight. Because in a week like this week, where we have witnessed one of the, the worst school shootings since Sandy Hook in 2012. In weeks like this where we watch something so horrifying, so wrong, so devastating happen, I think it's in times like this that we deconstruct our faith the most, that we, we doubt our faith the most, that we consider leaving the faith the most. Because it's in times like this we ask ourselves this question, where is God? God, where are you? God, you, you know, you, you watching, you, see, you, you seeing what's going on down here? God, why aren't, you, why aren't you doing anything? Where are you in the midst of all of this? And it's these times in history that, that even we as followers of Christ, we, we sometimes doubt. We're looking for God. We're wondering where God is, why God won't do anything. And I understand that. I empathize with that. I, I feel that with you. But there is some good news that we do find in, in, in the letter written by Luke. And actually, it, it's the end of the story that is the beginning of the story for you and I. And, and, and it's the end of the story that I, that I believe is the beginning to the solution 
to what we are seeing and what we are witnessing and what we are experiencing. And it, it's the end of the story that is the beginning. And this is where it's told. Luke tells Theophilus, when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. It was there in that time period, in that moment, where Jesus really shows us exactly what he is inviting us to when he invites us to follow him. Because at that moment, Jesus did something remarkable, something extraordinary, something that is so hard for us to comprehend and to understand. Because as he's there and, and he's being crucified, which was, which was not easy, which was one of the most excruciating ways to die ever. And when you look at the Gospel of Luke specifically, when he writes this Theophilus and he tells him about this crucifixion, he doesn't go into much detail. If you want to know detail about the crucifixion of Jesus, you look at the other Gospels. You look at Mark, you look at John, you look at Matthew. But Luke doesn't give us any details, any real description. And the reason is, is because crucifixions were so common during that time. I mean, at that time, if you told somebody you were going to a crucifixion, it was kind of like telling somebody you were headed to the bank. You know, if somebody tells you today, I'm going to the bank, you don't go, oh, what's a bank like? What's it like to go to the bank? No, you, you know what that's like because everybody's seen one. And at that point in time, everybody had seen a crucifixion. The Persians invented it. The Greeks improved on it. But the Romans, the Romans perfected it. And it was, it was meant to be one of the slowest, most excruciating ways that you could possibly die. It was meant to be slow. It was meant to send a message. It was meant to deter people. And there were public displays put on for everyone to see. So Luke doesn't go into many details. But then, on the cross, Jesus does something remarkable. And it starts here. Luke says, Jesus said... Jesus said something so remarkable, so, so incredible. And it was, it was what God was actually inviting us to be a part of. It was on that, in that moment that he was revealing what it really truly looked like to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Can you, can you believe that? I mean, Jesus is on the cross. These people have, this is, a, this is, this is injustice. This is wrong. Jesus didn't break any laws. These, these people, they manipulated Jesus here to the cross. And here he is, and he's on this cross. And as he's slowly dying, he says, Father... Forgive them that they do not know what they are doing. And you and I, we hear that. And it, it honestly, it sounds so weak, doesn't it? it? It sounds so weak, and it really truly sounds like Jesus is just a loser, doesn't it? I mean, shouldn't Jesus have fought back? Shouldn't have Jesus 
put on some display of justice, it really looks like that Jesus is just giving in, that Jesus is just giving up, but actually he's just doing something completely different, something that we can't even understand. But it looks weak, and I mean, it, it looks so weak that, that even in, in the last verse of this, he says, uh, go ahead and go back. And, and, and as Jesus was saying this, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Do you understand what that means? That means is Jesus is on the cross, dying slowly, and he looks out and he prays this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they not, know, know not what they're doing. Literally at his feet, people are trading his belongings and his clothes. People are at his feet and Jesus is, is, is giving this prayer, this speech. He's literally forgiving everyone for their sin. And people are below going, what did he say? I, I don't know. Do, do you want his shirt? I'll, I'll, I'll trade you one of his sandals for, for his cloak. No one cares. No one was even listening when Jesus forgave them. They were too busy gambling away his clothing. I mean, Jesus, it's such a losing strategy. It's so weak. And that's what we're concerned about, right? We're concerned about losing. We're concerned about being weak, about looking weak, about, about appearing weak. And we're worried because it just seems like Jesus had this losing strategy to forgive people. It, doesn't it just feel like sometimes God is just letting evil off the hook? Doesn't it feel like Jesus is, is just letting sinners get away with it? But Jesus, he... It's such a losing strategy. Even when he was taken, even when he was taken, Peter, he pulled out his sword. Peter pulled out his sword and it started to defend Jesus, started to fight for Jesus, started to, to defend the faith. Do you know what Jesus' words were? <laughs> Jesus said to them, no more of this. No more of this. Hey, you know what's so amazing about that? If Jesus is truly God in human form, it was as if God was ending all of the violence that had happened in the Old Testament. All of the murdering, all of the war, all of the things that, that he himself even commanded the Israelites to do. All of the things, all of the things that for sometimes for you are a hang up for you because there is so much violence in the Old Testament. There is so much war and there are so many things that God commanded that we just don't understand. But it was like in that moment, Jesus was changing everything and was saying, no more. No more, no more fighting back, no more war in my name, no more standing up for a nation, no more standing up for a cause, no more of this. No more fighting, no more murder, no more hurting anyone in my name. And you know what they did? You know what Thomas did? You know what Peter did? You know what James did? They unfollowed Jesus because of the posture he took. Because Jesus allowed himself to be taken. Allowed himself to be crucified. And they thought, well, then that's it. We're done. 
if we can't defend our faith, if we can't defend the cause, if we can't stand up for our beliefs, if we can't fight back, if we can't protect ourselves, well, then I don't want to follow Jesus. And they left him. And can we be honest for a minute? For many of us, for you and for me, that's, that's where we draw the line too, isn't it? We're admirers of Jesus. We love Jesus. We like Jesus when Jesus is good for us. We like Jesus when Jesus loves for us. But when it comes to those times and moments where it looks like we're going to lose and Jesus isn't doing anything to help us win, we go, all right, Jesus, stand back. Look out. We don't need you anymore. We're, we're going to take care of this. Our political party is going to take care of this. My president is going to take care of this. We're going to take care of this. Somebody has to do something. And if Jesus won't, we will. But here's the thing that you don't understand what Jesus was trying to do on that cross. When he was on that cross and he forgave and he was inviting us to forgive. He was inviting us to not be like everybody else. He was inviting us to not be like the rest of the world. He was inviting us to not feel threatened by those who threatened us. He was inviting us to not be hurt by those who chose to hurt us. He was, he was trying to help us to not be scared of those who want to scare us. He was inviting us to living a different way that was different than anything else and in, different than anything than, than anything that ever existed. But you and I, we hear that and we listen to that and we go, but that's, but that's so weak. But here's the truth. Is that when you see this played out in the 21st century, it doesn't look weak at all. It's remarkable. You take, for example, stories like this. Stories like Rachel Den, Ho Den Hollander. She was the first person to come forward and, and to testify against Larry Nasser. If you don't know who Larry Nasser is, he was the uh, Olympics physician for years. And Rachel was one of those Olympians, and she came forward and talked about how Larry Nasser used his position to sexually abuse young girls. It came out that over the 18 plus years that Larry Nasser was the physician for the USA Olympics team, that he sexually abused over 200 young girls. And Rachel was the very first to come out and to make an accusation against Larry Nasser. And then she showed up at his hearing, and Larry had already brought his Bible with him and, and, and had kind of tried to use Scripture to kind of manipulate people a bit. And Rachel came forward, and she testified in court. And this is what she said. She said, The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you 
ever reach the point of truth, facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. Now, you and I, we hear that and we're like, yeah, Rachel, get him. That's right. He's an evil person. He's a scumbag. He's a terrible person. If he ever would realize what he would did, man, the judgment that God is going to bring on him, it's going to be crushing. It's going to be destroying. You tell him. But you listen to what Rachel says next. She says, and this is what makes the gospel so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. Wow. She literally looks at her abuser. And she warns him of the dangers of his sin. But then she... She invites him to accept God's grace. She forgives him. And she offers him a chance to be forgiven too. Wow. Let me ask you something. Does Rachel sound like a loser? Does Rachel sound weak? Or does she sound powerful? Or let's talk about Anthony Thompson. Anthony Thompson, whose wife was gunned down by a white supremacist. A white supremacist who entered into a church and killed nine church members, including, including Anthony Thompson's wife. And then 48 hours later, 48 hours later, Anthony Thompson is in the bail bond hearing for the man who murdered his wife. And he looks at his wife's murderer and he says these words, I forgive you. My family forgives you. And we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ. And then he says these words. He says, so that he can change your ways no matter what happens to you, and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are Right now. He, he says to his wife's murderer, please, please repent. Please, please give your life to Christ. Please follow him and you'll be okay. And then another church member stands up. It says, we want you to know, we forgive you. You took something from us. You took someone from us. You took my child from me that I will never be able to hold again. And I, I will never be the same again. And then they invite him to their Bible study. 
and say, we want to invite you to our Bible study. We would love it if you would somehow find God so that you'll be okay. Does Anthony Thompson, do those church members that appeared that day, do they they seem weak to you? Do they seem like losers to you? See, here's the truth that I, I need you to hear. In moments like what happened this week, in times like this, we ask ourselves, where is God? Where is God? And why, why won't God do something? But do you want to know the honest truth? God already did something. God already did something when he sent himself in human form, when he sent his son to this earth to be crucified on a cross and to die for my sin, your sin, and the sin of everyone. God already did something. And it was something Something so remarkable that now we know better. It was so remarkable that now we know better. And in that moment, on the cross, where he forgives those who murdered him, he invites us to be better so that we can be better in life. And that invitation, that invitation, that that better life that he's inviting us to, it's a life of a loser. That, That certain invitation, Luke even was able to get it from Peter and write it down. It was it was here where he Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to to find Jesus, do you want to know what it looks like to follow me? Really? I'm not talking about just being a fan. I'm not talking about just being a churchgoer. I'm not talking about just being a believer. I'm talking about if you really want to follow me and, and, and reap all the benefits of following me and what it's like, do you want to know what that looks like? It looks like this. You have to deny yourself. You have to say no to yourself. You have to say no to what you want. You have to say no to your impulses. I know. I know what you're going to have to feel. I know how you're going to want to react. But you're going to have to deny yourself. And then he says, and you're going to have to take up your cross Now, when they heard this, they knew exactly what that meant. Because if you picked up your cross, if you picked up your cross, it was like picking up a a flag. It it was claiming claiming that, that you were no longer yourself. You were no longer independent. You, you, You were going to lay down your life. You were going to metaphorically die to yourself. And then he says, daily, daily. See, here's the thing that a lot of us don't understand. And here's the thing that you haven't seen out of a whole lot of Christians before. 
is that salvation happens in a prayer. Salvation, that's a one-off thing. That's a one-time thing. But the thing is, is that to go beyond that, to be a follower of Jesus, you have to choose to pick up your cross daily. That means daily. I surrender myself to the authority of God. That means daily I decide thy kingdom come, not mine. Thy will be done, not mine. What you want on earth as it already is in heaven. I I am going to daily decide to pick up my cross and Lord, not what I want, what you want. And the temptation that every single one of us has is that when something happens and it looks like we're going to lose and it scares us and it frightens us and it concerns us, many of us, we put down our crosses and we pick up something else. But to be a follower of Christ, not an admirer of Christ, but a follower of Christ, We have to understand who it is we are actually following. And I said this during this series. Save, love, forgive is what Jesus does, but king is who he is. Let me ask you something. Have you surrendered to the kingdom of God? Have you not just giving your life to Christ, but today, on this Thursday, when you woke up this morning, did you pick up your cross and choose to follow? When you heard the news of what happened in Texas, did you pick up your cross and choose to follow? Tomorrow, this weekend, Next week, next month, next year, when the next thing happens, will you pick up your cross and follow? Because here's the thing. Every single group, every single group, every single group wants you to place yourself under their authority. And they want to tell you how you should respond. They want to tell you what you should do. The LBGTQ community, they want to tell you, if you're going to be here, then this is how you need to live your life. This is what you need to do. The Republicans, the Democrats, whatever group you want to choose, choose a group. They will tell you, we want, this is how it is. You need to put yourself under our authority. But here's the thing I find with every single group, every single group, is that when you put yourself under their authority, there is somebody out there that they want you to be against. There is a cause that they want you to pick up your your axe, your gun, your flag, your whatever it may be, and they want you to be against someone. You are in a fight, and you are in a fight to win, and you are against somebody on the other side of the aisle. And it's your choice. It's your choice whose kingdom, what group you put your authority under. But here's the deal. Is that when we put ourselves under the authority of Christ, under the kingship of God, 
We're not against anyone. We're not fighting anyone. Because when it comes to this kingdom, what we're known for is what Jesus told them and what John wrote down. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you love one another. They will know you for what you are for, not who you are against. So who do you really want to put yourself under the authority of? What kingdom do you want to belong to? Because every kingdom that I find that is outside the kingdom of God is against someone. They hate Someone. They want to end someone. They want to destroy someone. Is that how you want to live your life? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to live your life and give your money and give your time being against someone? Just because they're different than you? Just because they have a different opinion than you? Just because they have a different belief than you? I don't think you do. So why why would you follow Jesus? Because he is not against anyone. Like we talked about last week, when Jesus looks at people... He doesn't see right or wrong, evil, good. He sees the lost and he sees the found. And he will leave the 99 to go after the lost because he values them. And he will do whatever he has to to reconnect with them. Jesus is inviting us to be different. To not be just a member of a political party or a member of a group that sexually identifies one way or another, or a group who believes one way in science against another way that another group believes in science. He's he's trying to get us away from that because they're all against one another. He is giving us an option that is different than all of that. And when he gives us that invitation, this is what that invitation looks like. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. Here's the honest truth. When we ask ourselves, where is God? What is God doing? Why won't God do anything? The truth is, God already did his part. Now it's your part. Now it's your turn. Now it's on you. It's on you to love the lost, to value the lost, to care for the lost, to be known for loving your neighbor and your enemy as yourself. Oh, but we'll lose if we do that. We've got to fight back. Let me tell you something. If we fight back, we lose too. 
this invitation from Jesus is, is an invitation to be better. And the truth is, is that if you love your country, your community, your family, and you want to see it be better, the truth is, is it will require sacrifice from you, not God. God already did his part. And now it's your turn. But see, what you don't like about that is that it will, you know, it will require sacrifice from you. Somebody asked me an honest question this week. What do you think is the solution to this gun violence problem? And I said, you know what? Here's the thing. The fact of the matter is, is that shooter, Salvador, was a lost kid. Was a lost kid. And the thing is, the thing that God lays on my heart is there are defensive measures that can be taken and there are laws that can be made. But honestly, I feel like that is just passing the buck on somebody else and telling somebody else that they need to solve the problem for the rest of us. But the truth is, is that if I'm truly concerned and I want to make a difference in this world, that it will require sacrifice from me to minister and to go after every lost kid that's out there. Because Salvador was a lost kid. And if somebody would have saved that lost kid, we would have saved 14 other kids' lives. And the truth is, is that we want to blame God and we want to put it on politicians and we want to put it on other people and we want rules and laws to be made. And God is looking down on us, telling us, you know, laws never solve the problem for you guys. And I have given you a way to live. I have given you a way to live to love one another and lift one another up and to value one another and to be for one another. And the truth is, is that if you would do that, you would have heaven on earth and you wouldn't see the things that you see. What more do you need me to do for you is what God is saying to us. And I saw somebody write on a Facebook post, oh, I just started praying today, literally, that God would come back. Really? You want God to come back? Have you given up that quickly? Have you given up? And are you ready to end the game? Because if the game ends, the lost will be lost forever. Are you honestly praying, God, in the game and take all the lost souls? Because it is my honest and literal prayer. God, give me more time. Give me more time to reach the lost. Because if you value the lost, then I value the lost too. That is the invitation that God has laid at our feet. And he tells us this in this invitation. Whomever wants to save their life, whomever wants to save their life 
Whomever wants to set up the next generation for success, whomever wants to end the violence of the world, whomever wants there to be peace, whomever wants to see heaven on earth, what you have to do is they will lose their life. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. It sounds like losing. Sounds like we're giving up. When you see it played out, it doesn't look that way to me. Whomever wants to save it has to lose their life, has to deny themselves, has to pick up their cross daily and follow Christ. And then he gives this Warning that is so important for us today. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Can, can I give you a uh, modern translation of this verse? What good is it to win the game only to find out that you were not playing the right game all along? See, um, the game we're playing, it's not to get the Bible back in school. The game we're playing is not to save our country. The game we're playing is to not have it the conservative way or to force our beliefs on everybody else and to change the laws to where more people look like us or do what we think is best. That's, see, you're playing the wrong game. Ah, that's not the game we're playing. And how sad it will be for so many people who rallied and fought and screamed at the other side and pointed their finger and, and judged and hated. How sad will it be that when they get to heaven that God reveals you were not playing the right game. Because I, uh, I wasn't fighting for the Republicans I wasn't fighting for the Democrats, and I wasn't even fighting for the church and the church's rights. I wasn't fighting for the heterosexuals. I was wanting you to love people, to forgive people, to value people. Even the evil people, God would say, I wouldn't call them that. I would call them lost. But God, we lost. We were losing. But I wanted you to win them. I already have the end of the story. I was going to win no matter what. I was giving you time on earth. To be Jesus to everyone. And you failed. How sad will it be to think that we're winning the game and really realize that we are not even playing the right game? We don't need God to do anything. God already did his part. 
it's time for you to do yours. And that will require sacrifice. That will require generosity, donations. That will require time, energy. How, that's going to require a lot of my life. Yeah, it, it, it will. And that's why Jesus gave his life for you. So that you would give your life to other people. And if you would lose your life, you would find that you're actually saving your life. But you will also find that you will save the life of another. I guess that's my prayer for you. I guess that's my prayer for me. That God would not come. I don't want God to come. Jesus, don't come. <laughs> not yet. Give me more time. Give me more time to love my neighbor, to love people, to forgive, to heal, to go after the lost, to tell people that they are valued, to show people that not only are you for them, but I am for them. God, give me time to do that and let me do my part. Let me pick up my cross and lose my life so that I, I can gain more than just the world. Because I'm not in this to gain the world. I'm not in this to make my life more comfortable. I'm not in this to make me feel more safe. That is not my objective and that is not my goal. I am here in this short time on this earth to go through this with people. To grieve and to hurt and to question and to journey through it. But I am not here to fight. I am here to die. To die to myself in the same way that Jesus, you died on that cross. Can I pray for you this, this evening? Father God, would you help us? Would you help us to understand that it is time for us to do our part. It is time to do what is required of us. To sacrifice. To lay down my life. To daily pick up my cross. And to put myself under the authority of your kingship and your kingdom. Father God. Would your kingdom come. Would your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. And give me what I need and help me to forgive those who have sinned against me. Because this is your kingdom. And I am here to obey and I am responsible to you. In your name we pray. Amen.